One time I was a stowaway on a boat. It was the summer after freshman year of college, and my friend Karen and I were waitressing at a Greek diner. We were trying to save money so we could go packpacking around Europe for the month of August. The student discount ticket was cheapest on Iceland Air, which had a layover in Reykjavik, where there was nothing to do but buy an Icelandic sweater and wait for your connecting flight. So many people from school had gone to Europe that way, the campus had been overrun with Icelandic sweaters that winter. I'm sick of these sweaters and their woolly taunting, I said to Karen. So shut up and go, she said. Later that day, I dropped by her apartment with a new copy of Let's Go Europe. I had crossed out the let's and written shut up and. I handed her the book and we began to make our plans. With an hourly wage of $2.12, I needed an aggressive savings scheme. First, I had to work 60 hours a week, which meant buying two uniforms, because there was not enough time between shifts to launder and iron my yellow waitress's uniform and apron. Between the extra uniform and the nurse's shoes, I had no money to lay out, so I asked my mom to give me the money. My mom grumbled when she took me to the uniform store. I'm not crazy about this, you know, she said. Not the waitressing, but the trip. She thought it was more suitable for a young lady to be taken to Europe by her husband on her honeymoon. I tried to explain this was 1978. A woman didn't need a man's help to go to Europe. What woman do you mean, my mom asked. The one who needs her mom to buy her uniform shoes? But I wouldn't let anything ruin my excitement. I was going on a great adventure that August and nothing. Not ugly nurse's shoes, not a hairnet, not drunks throwing up ham and eggs at 4 a.m. was going to stop me. I tacked postcards of the Eiffel Tower inside my 68 VW Bug and next to the faded picture of the Acropolis by the Bunomatic coffee maker at work. Karen took that one down. What are you doing, she said. We won't get any hours if old Nick knows we're leaving. Old Nick was the owner, and his son, young Nick, was the cook. Old Nick was all right, although I don't think he ever knew our names, and we were his only waitresses. Young Nick was an asshole. He had a Cadillac convertible with a novelty horn that played the opening bars to Zorba the Greek, and his favorite movie was Russ Meyer's Super Vixens. He was constantly leering at Karen and me, especially Karen, who was, to use a popular expression, stacked. Actually, with Karen, leering soon crossed into physical harassment. He was constantly grabbing her ass or her breasts whenever he could. Me, he kind of knew from church, so he wasn't as bad. His harassment mostly took the form of what he thought was clever verbal sparring, he called me Janie because I was just a little girl, which was his way of indicating his disappointment in my secondary sex characteristics. One day, Janie, I make you big women, he'd say. To emphasize this point, he'd hold his hands in front of his chest as if they were cradling two bowling balls, meaning, I suppose, that after what was sure to be the boning of a lifetime, I'd suddenly sprout breasts. One day, I came to work and couldn't find Karen. Young Nick was sullen in the kitchen and wouldn't answer any questions. I took the creamer bin to the walk-in fridge to refill it and found Karen locked inside. Young Nick had made a pass at her in the back by the steel shelves, and when she told him to knock it off, he'd taken a stack of trays off the shelves and shoved them into her stomach. Then he'd opened the walk-in box and pushed her in there. It was about 34 degrees, and she'd been in there for half an hour. I took her to the emergency room, and she had many photographs taken of her bruised stomach. The next day, she went to a lawyer. She sued young Nick and old Nick and the diner and maybe the tray company. Anyway, they settled quickly out of court and she got a lot of money. You big women now, I told Karen. And then I said, hey, one more week and we're on our way. Uh, about that, Karen said. 
Karen had changed her mind about the trip. She was taking her money and going to Radcliffe, which she'd been admitted to, but hadn't been able to afford. And so she left, just like that. She gave me her URL pass. as a consolation prize, she said. That, and the joy of watching young Nick drive his mom's Plymouth Valiant. He'd sold his beloved Zorba caddy to help pay Karen's settlement. I was disappointed, but not discouraged. I figured I'd find someone else to go with me. But I couldn't, so I went by myself. I bought my sweater at Reykjavik Airport and went to London. After a week there, I hopped a train to Paris, where I stayed with a friend and her family for a couple weeks. One Sunday afternoon, a friend was over, and he mentioned going to Dublin that night. He was a folk singer, and he'd been hired to play on the ferry when it did its run in Ireland. I realized I had one day left on my Eurail pass, which included the ferry to Dublin, so I decided to f- visit my friend Peter, who lived in Dublin. The ferry was leaving at 6.30 that evening from Layav and arriving in the morning, so we all hopped in the car and my friend dropped us off at the harbor. It turned out that the ferry portion of my Eurail pass had expired the midnight before. Ah, we, 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 d'accord, Pat, uh, fr- uh, the guy sighed, <laughs> shrugging apologetically. The ticket agent shambled off and Patrick winked at me. He'd been on this boat before and knew how to sneak a girl on there. We found our way to his tiny room below decks, just off the engine room in the cargo hold. The noise was deafening and it smelled deeply of diesel fumes and car exhaust. I was nervous about sneaking on. Pas de problème, you won't get caught, he said. Just don't go above deck and don't make a sound. I nodded what kind of sound I could possibly make that could be heard over the dim of a ship's engine. Avoiding the deck would be harder. The noxious odors, not helped by his nonstop smoking of galoises, were making me queasy, and when the boat got in the channel, I got sick in the wastebasket. He looked at me. Ha, you're green, he laughed charmingly. I needed fresh air in a hurry. I snuck up to the deck, I couldn't help it, and gulped a couple lungfuls of fresh air, taking care that nobody was around. About 20 minutes after I got back to the cabin, there was a knock at the door. It was the purser, who told Patrick it was all over the boat that there was a girl in here and the captain wanted to see me right away. He called me a stowaway, but I wasn't a stowaway. I was just uh, sneaking onto a boat without paying. Patrick tried to come with me, but I told him no. I'd handle it myself. I'd gotten plenty of free rides on Jersey Transit. What's a ferry boat but a train on the water? Besides, Patrick's English was sucked and the crew was Irish. The purser took me to the captain's quarters and left me to deal with him alone. I hadn't realized I'd be alone with the captain and wished I'd let Patrick come with me, but I tried to look nonplussed. The captain was what my mom's ethnic meter would have identified as black Irish, pale-skinned, with jet black hair and eyes. He looked me up as down and clucked his tongue. Young lady, do you know why you are here? I was taken aback. Did this old dolt think I was out of my mind? He looked at me sternly, as a man wearing an exact replica of Captain Kangaroo's uniform could. You've committed a very serious offense, a very serious offense indeed, he went on. I didn't say anything, since I was trying to figure out where he was getting at. Why didn't he just yell at me and kick me off at the next stop? Or do what they did on Jersey Transit and let me go with a wink? The captain seemed a little confused by my calm. I realized he expected me to have burst into tears by now. He decided to play his hand anyway, though I hadn't reached the state of despair he had hoped for. He sighed and looked up at the ceiling as if there were instructions for dealing with a stowaway up there. 
What am I going to do with you? He said stagily, clucking his tongue. His eyes darted at me quickly and then back up at the ceiling. I heard my mother, with the contempt she reserved solely for her people, that dirty Irish bastard, and I could see young Nick leering at me by the Hobart mixer. Okay, I get it. The penalty for stowing away was a blowjob at least. Well, we'll see about that. For A cups notwithstanding, I was a big woman. Look, I said firmly, I'm sorry for stowing away, and I'll be on deck till we reach Cherbourg. If you want to hand me over to the authorities, I understand. And then I turned and I walked out. We reached Cherbourg a little while later, and there were no cops on the dock. I walked the gangplank under the captain's scowl and boarded the last train to Paris. The conductor came into the compartment at 11.45 p.m. He looked at my Eurail pass and checked his watch, smiling. Ah, bien, he said briskly, handing me back the pass. You're lucky. This runs out in 15 minutes.